Hi, this is Megan McHugh, and this is the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website. G'day, welcome aboard the Starship Zero G, science fiction, fantasy and historical radio for episode number 1394, entitled Stranger Things. Our podcast title is The Potterer Supreme. I am Rob Jan, or as I am known today, the last Jan on Earth. Yes, I am Lejan, holding the fort here on Earth 616, while our co-host Megan McHugh is off exploring another part of the multiverse. And speaking of which, today I'm going to focus upon Sam Raimi's new movie, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, and we'll also be commemorating the passing of the great U.S. American artist and writer George Perez. First, I will play a track from the trailer of the Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness movie, and this suitably dramatic piece of music is attributed to Kratikov music, and it's actually the track called Dream, an epic version of that. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, stacking Z's on Zero G. I'll have less dreaming on this ship, mister. <laughs> the dream song from the Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness trailer. Uh, with a little bit of the Everly Brothers in there, that original song from 1958. And that's an epic version put out by Kratikov Music and Wonder on a single of the same name. Righto, by the hoary hosts of Hoggoth, tis time to dive into Doc Strange in the multiverse of madness. It is the 28th MCU film, if you're still counting, the second Doctor Strange solo outing, definitely not counting the 1978 telly movie, which starred Peter Hooten as Strange and Jessica Walter as Morgan Le Fay. Our contemporary Strange is expertly played by the ubiquitous Benedict Cumberbatch, featured in the first MCU Strange movie back in 2016, and the two parts of the Avengers Infinity War Endgame saga, as well as Thor Ragnarok, and also most recently in Spider-Man No Way Home. Batch also voiced Doctor Strange in the What If animated series as four different multiversal variants of the character, who of course was created by Steve Ditko along with Stan Lee back in 1963, first appearing in Strange Tales, issue number 110. Now, the character of Dr. Stephen Strange as a brilliant but arrogantly egotistical surgeon. Hands damaged in a car accident, he desperately sought a cure beyond conventional science in the mystic arts, 
and in the process became Earth's Sorcerer Supreme. Although he's not actually the office holder in this movie on account of the blip, which is to say that like half of the MCU universe, he was dusted by the Thanos Infinity Gauntlet finger snap for five years before being returned to existence by the restorative Hulk snap. So there you go. Now, the 2016 Doctor Strange film was directed by Scott Derrickson from a screenplay with John Spates and C. Robert Cargill that Derrickson also worked on. But this new film was directed by Sam Raimi and written by Michael Waldron. Ram Raimi, as Scooby-Doo would say, in the name of the dread Dormammu. He is the man to go to for the successful, mostly, Spider-Man trilogy back in 2002 to 2007. That's the three original Spider-Man movies starring Tobey Maguire, of course. So a big part of, well, proto sort of MCU back then. But of course, now that's been integrated into canon officially as a, a multiversal component. And, of course, he also did that horror movie, Drag Me to Hell. Loved that one. Very atmospheric. And the superhero film in 1990 called Darkman and that revisionist western, The Quick and the Dead, as well as another supernatural film in 2000, The Gift. And, of course, he's behind the entire Evil Dead franchise even going so far as directing the pilot episode of the Ash vs. Evil Dead series for Starz Television. And, of course, he was the executive producer for Spartacus Blood and Sand and, well, all of the other Spartacus series that span off that. But I think I know him most of all for Hercules, The Legendary Journeys and its companion show, Xena, Warrior Princess, as well as some of those other ones, again, starring his muse, Bruce Campbell, Jack of All Trades, and uh, what was the other one? Cleopatra 25, 25. I don't run into too many people who've seen that one. But science fiction series set in the year 2525. <laughs> I've loved Sam Raimi's work for some time now. It can be over the top. It's very comic book style in itself. So he is a perfect person to adapt comic book movies. And I did wonder if he was going to be given the helm of another one after the somewhat troubled Spider-Man 3 movie. And here he is now doing a really good job on the Doctor Strange movie. Michael Waldron is an American screenwriter and a producer as well. Uh, We've seen his work before in the series Loki, and he worked on the Russo Brothers television series, the comedy show Community. (laughs) You know what? I think I'll play the opening theme for Cleopatra 2525. I think you'll recognise the geek classic song that it's based upon. I've surely played enough Xena Warrior Princess tracks on Zero G in my time. So here we go with Cleopatra 2525 from 2000, produced by Sam Raimi's Renaissance Pictures, often seen alongside the Bruce Campbell vehicle Jack of All Trades. 
This is Ashley C. Williams. I play Lindsay in The Human Centipede and the title character in Julia. You're listening to Zero G on 3 R. No, not that Ash Williams. The real Ash Williams. Huh? The theme song to the Sam Raimi produced Cleopatra 2525. I didn't see too many of those episodes because there weren't all that many produced. It starred Gina Torres, yes, from Firefly and Victoria Pratt and Jennifer Sky. And yeah, they were riffing off the Zager and Evans song The Year 2525. Quirky little science fiction series produced in uh, New Zealand. Now by the shades of the seraphim, back to Sam Raimi's new movie Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Now, we've covered Spider-Man No Way Home, Loki and Marvel's What If recently enough on Zero G as well as Everything Everywhere All at Once and Star Trek Picard that I don't really feel the need to much rehash what the key concept of the second Doctor Strange movie revolves around, which is to say the theory of multiverses, dimensions parallel to our own, or at least to the mainstream Marvel Cinematic Universe, where things worked out differently and where there may or may not be variants of the familiar characters we know and love, or indeed loathe, depending on their proclivities. Well, it's a movie about Doctor Strange, and it involves the multiple universes, so yeah, lots of variants. And also, the third key concept, madness, which is not just a throwaway alliteration, but is essential to the plot, which revolves around two magical, mystical tomes, the Book of Vishanti and the Darkhold. Yeah, we've heard about that before, thinks Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., about which Arcane literature, the less said the better, or in the words of every good mummy movie, no, you must not read from the book. By the purple prosed pages of the Necronomicon, I hear you chant. Yes, indeedy, this is not the first time that director Sam Raimi has used books as MacGuffins to drive the plot of a horror movie. You've got him dead to rights, or rather deadites, as in Evil Dead. Now, this movie is not called Sorcerer Supreme Wong and the multiversal yada yada yada, so it's no surprise that Stephen Strange gets involved when these two powerful repositories of sorceress lore and spells check themselves out of the notional library. But wait, there's another ingredient in the potion, a young woman named America Chavez, whose particular superpower is to be able to open portals between different multiverses through which one can travel just as easily as Strange and his peers can open portals between physical locations in our own universe, or rather the comic book universe. I know, I get them mixed up all the time myself. Chavez will test Strange's rather rudimentary skills at being part of a team. Teamwork is not really Strange's long suit. Apart from some irritable dalliances with the late and much-lamented Tony Stark, and rather disastrously, as we've recently seen, with Tom Holland's Peter Parker. Anyway, Chavez is being hunted, just like the books, by the villain of the piece, who has designs upon her powers. Look, this is the 28th movie, and yeah, if you haven't seen a goodly chunk of the previous films, and indeed some of the television series, you'll be missing out on several layers of detail, and more Easter eggs than a chocolate bunny could hurl a Toblerone bar at, but 
hey, you know, it's like Doctor Who or Star Trek or any of the other long-legged franchises that go bump in the night. It is what it is. Would you expect to be able to fully enjoy or even follow, say, the Lord of the Rings if you'd missed out on the middle book, The Two Towers? Alrighty, time for some more music, I think. And look, it's only about a week since the actual film came out and I don't have access to Danny Elfman's score for Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, but I've got some workable substitutes. Here's a Lewis Mack adaptation of Multiverse of Madness from the score of the Doctor Strange 2 movie. Hi there, I'm Jen Saska. And I'm Sylvia Saska. And, and we're the Twisted Twins. And you're listening to Zero G on 3 Triple RFM. Did you love it? This is good for you too. Heck yeah. By the fires of Ichthalon, that was Multiverse of Madness. Lewis Mack adaptation of Danny Elfman's theme from the movie under discussion here today on Zero G. You know, it might be just as well that I don't actually have Danny Elfman's score for the movie to hand because there are several musical spoilers included in it, which, if I played them now, would instantly give away certain cameos in the movie, of which there are many, (laughs) from across the multiverse of Marvel Cinematic experiences available to the makers of this film. It's pretty much a good dodge, isn't it, when you think about it? It's like being able to regenerate a certain Time Lord and the idea of that being that you can have any actor playing the character. Well, in the multiverse's case, you can do that too and provide even more strange wrinkles spawned by parallel dimensions. Ha! I'm looking at you, Crocodile Loki. Well, by the wondrous wand of Watumb, I think it's time to look at the players in a little more detail. Benedict Cumberbatch is Doctor Strange, and it's actually hard to think of anyone else playing the character now. It's an actor's feast in this film to serve up different takes on a familiar character, If only they got Patrick Stewart to play Evil Picard in Star Trek Nemesis back in the day. Let it go, Rob. Let it go. Anyway, Cumberbatch gets to play more variants of his character than Tom Hiddleston did his in Loki. And Stranger's story arc in this is quite believable. And I don't think it's just a rehash of Stranger's initial journey in the first film, but more of a development and logical extension of what he's undergone in the other Marvel films, especially having been a a key part in winning the Infinity War against Thanos, as well as his near-apocalyptic mistake in the Spider-Man movie. Cumberbatch is an adept at this now and has mastered the necessary physicality for the role. It's never to be neglected or taken for granted in a superhero movie. He's as good a spellcaster as any Hogwarts alumni and he's really quite expert at nuancing the different variants. And that's important in this film because it is in the title. (laughs) So, full marks to Mr Cumberbatch in this case. Yes, He's grown into that goatee. 
And of course, it's fun to see how Doctor Strange interacts with his former tutor, Wong, in this film once again. All right, Elizabeth Olsen playing Wanda Maximoff. This follows on from her star turn in the WandaVision television series, and again, it's a reasonable build upon her character, directly pivoting off the events in that miniseries. Olsen gets to join in the multiverse variant character fun too. Some things happen to her character that are perhaps a shade too tropey, but I felt that they were convincing and not conjured up, as it were, out of left field. At least that's my view, or Westview, as the case may be. Anyway, all the feels for Olsen's character, and that's down to the actress by now note-perfect performance. She works well opposite Benny Batch, and there's a, a real sense of comparing and contrasting the individual journeys of these two very powerful magic users. And again, as we've come about, it's noticeable that Olsen has mastered the magic hands biz. And yeah, I know it's all CGI smoke and mirrors, but it still all starts with actual flesh and blood digital prestigitation. It's just as important here as in any, for example, dance movie. Benedict Wong plays Wong, the Sorcerer Supreme of what we now know is Earth 616, which is the Marvel basic universe, the prime timeline. Now that's actually a bit of a in-universe retcon because they've been calling this Earth 1999999 in print at least, but in universe they're now calling it 616. Shh, it's a kind of movie magic. <laughs> I wonder if there's a Brooklyn Nine-Nine in this universe. Wong is an interesting character, as well as being something of a, a ubiquitous one now. I think he's going to turn up in quite a few movies playing the Sorcerer Supreme himself. And I think that's a good development, because the character has got potential beyond just being the sidekick of Doctor Strange. Actually, who is the sidekick of whom? <laughs> We've got Jortel Ejiofa playing uh, the character of Baron Karl Mordo. Um, it's an alternate version in this case, and he's been a bit of a nemesis for Doctor Strange ever since he was his mentor. <laughs> ah, teachers. If the student has failed, then where does the blame truly lie? Sochi Gomez plays the Latino superhero America Chavez, that character was originally created by Joe Casey and Nick Dragotta and appeared in uh, September 2011 in the comic book Vengeance Number 1. Uh, later went on to become one of the Young Avengers. Had her own titled book, America, in 2017, written by Gabby Rivera. America Chavez has appeared before in the Marvel Rising animated specials, voiced by Sierra Ramirez, and in the animated film Marvel Rising Secret Warriors, again, the same voice actor. I think that uh, Chavez gets a little bit short-changed in this film, in that she is kind of a bit of a counterfoil to 
Cumberbatch's more prominent Doctor Strange. But at the same time, this is a new MCU superhero, so we're working through her introduction and origin story here. And they do give adequate time to develop that origin. I think they they gave us enough time to let it breathe. Although perhaps too much in terms of the Saudi Arabian response to the character, they wanted certain lines cut out of the film because it appears that America Chavez has two mothers with all of that that implies, and that's way too much for the Saudi Arabian censor. And good on Marvel for not giving in to that bigoted nonsense and leaving the character as she was meant to be. Anyway, as usual, it's delightful to see a young character become empowered throughout the course of the movie which is not giving anything away, really. You know the drill. We're in Bill Dung's Roman territory as she finds herself under the not exactly expert mentorship of Doctor Strange. Rachel McAdams reprises her role from the first Doctor Strange movie as Dr Christine Palmer, a fellow surgeon and also notional love interest for Stephen Strange. But now, estranged from Strange. (laughs) McAdams doesn't get a mere cameo in this film. She actually has quite a pivotal part in the plot, which is nice to see. Okay, look, there are lots of cameos in this movie, and I thought about how far I wanted to go in exploring those, and I decided that I want to leave those to you to discover. If you have already seen them, then you've had a ball picking out how intricately woven they are into the broader MCU, and, he says with a hint, certain television shows too. And I think it would be doing you a grave disservice if you haven't seen the film to go into any kind of detail about those. I will tell you one thing. Tom Cruise does not play superior Iron Man in this film. Fair enough. I think a (laughs) non-spoiler. Or is that in spoiler territory as well? (laughs) But yeah, there are some absolutely fantastic cameos in this movie with broader implications for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Although there's always the get-out-of-portal free card, isn't there? That these are all multiversal variants. So we can kind of do what we like with them in this particular film, and it won't necessarily have any impact upon the larger MCU. But there's some great developments in this, depending on whether or not they stick. (laughs) Oh, Sam Raimi, what a devil you are. Oh, and I must not forget to mention a character who stretches the fabric of reality, a character in itself, and that's Cloaky, Doctor Strange's magic cloak of levitation. Plenty of action from our material curl in this one. Well, time to use the old sling ring to conjure up a track from Michael Giacchino's soundtrack album of the 2016 Doctor Strange movie, and this one is a long, strange trip. 
Hello, my little lovelies. This is your old fat auntie Jack on Radio Free Triple R. You're listening to Zero G, and if you don't listen to it closely, I'm going to jump through your speakers and rip your bloody arms off. And I will too. Won't I, Robert? Jack, we know you'll be back. Though you're ten feet tall, you don't scare us at all. You're big, bold and tough. A long, strange trip from the 2016 soundtrack album for Doctor Strange. Michael Chicano there at the compositional helm. Rob Jan in the studio talking about Doctor Strange in the multiverse of madness. Sam Raimi's new entry in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Now, by the crimson bands of Cytorak, we've had a look at the general plot and drilled down a bit into the characters, at least as far as we can without giving too much away. So let's zoom out a bit now. How does this film fare in its treatment of multiversal multiplicity? Well, pretty well, actually. There's a staggeringly kaleidoscopic montage that, for sheer kinetic dynamism, wouldn't be out of place in the recently splendid Everything Everywhere All at Once, whose only fault is that it whirls by perhaps too quickly. We do linger longer in at least three other multiversal variants of the MCU, one to a a greater extent than others, and we do glimpse some fascinating world-building outside the necessary focus on Strange and Chavez's adventures. The what-if sense of alternative possibilities is very strong indeed in this film. Now, if you're here for the wizardly procedural and magical stouches, you will not be disappointed. They're full-on and stunningly depicted. Now, I don't think that the Harry Potterverse can hold a wand to the sorceress sequences here, let alone a wander. Yes, it's all very much a Sam Raimi-style horror movie with some surprisingly creepy and even disturbing moments both realised and implied. It's a welcome new tone for the MCU, I reckon, and one custom-made to fit the more out-there characters of magicians and vampires, werewolves and zombies. Oh, my. And we've glimpsed a horror side to the MCU and the What If animated series, and I think especially in the freshly minted Moon Knight television show, both streaming on Disney+. Anywho, you'll see most of the Sam Raimi signature cinematic moves here. Jump cuts, crash zooms, unsettlingly weird body contortions, poltergeisty and undead action, and some quite gruesome deaths. Well, look, I wouldn't be at all surprised if Bruce Campbell showed up to deal with it all with his trusty bang stick shotgun and chainsaw hand. Parental guidance might just be in order for you. Just saying. Now, as with Raimi's earlier and at least two-thirds well-regarded Spider-Man movies recently retro-incorporated into the MCU, this is a film with a fairly strong heart at its core, though not necessarily entirely the province of its title character, but certainly manifests strongly in the main antagonist's motivation, which I thought was a particularly affecting one. I like this film, and I felt it added to our understanding of the iconically strange physician-mage, and it also really gets well stuck into the whole multiverse element at the heart of the Marvel Phase 4, as already showcased in several of the other recent movies and TV shows. Well, basically I give it a zero-G rating of Yay! by the yellow yoke of Yazoo. 
That's Sam Raimi's Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. And yeah, I actually went to the cinema to see this. And that is so welcome after two years of pandemic shutdowns of cinemas. Yes, of course, I'm still sitting in the cinema with my mask on. But hey, you know, it is a superhero movie. You know what I want going out from this for the weekly David Bowie track? I think I'd like to hear Carlian's delicate, soft-toned rendition of As the World Falls Down, based on the soundtrack from the 1986 Labyrinth movie, in which, of course, Bowie plays the Goblin King, Jareth. There's actually some moments in that film that remind me a bit of Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, especially some sequences where Bowie stalks evocatively around a sort of Escher-esque castle in the film. So, Carlene's Labyrinth EP, As the World Falls Down. Just how long have we been receiving these mysterious signals from outer space? People of Earth, attention. This is a voice speaking to you from thousands of miles beyond your planet. Hi, I'm Steve Squires. I worked on the Mars Exploration Rovers, Voyager, Magellan, and Cassini space missions, and I wrote the book Roving Mars. So if anyone should understand Zero G, you'd think it would be me. Nah, sorry. Zero G, science fiction and fantasy radio on 3 Triple R FM. Don't run, we are your friends. Kathleen's nifty rendition of As the World Falls Down, this week's Bowie track, basically culled from the soundtrack of the 1986 Jim Henson movie, Labyrinth. And now it is the sad task that I have to memorialise the passing of US American comic book artist and writer George Perez, who was born in 1954 and died on May the 6th this year. Wow, what a fine artist, iconic runs, on The Avengers, Fantastic Four, The Inhumans, Peter David's Hulk, Future Imperfect, Captain America comics, The Defenders, and, of course, Iron Man as well. And that's just his Marvel canon. He was born in the South Bronx and began to draw at the age of five. A remarkable body of work over the years. Also, of course, this is a, an artist who worked for multiple publishing houses across the comic book world. New Teen Titans, The Crisis on Infinite Earths, an iconic Wonder Woman artist as well who is credited with rebooting the character. And boy, yes, she certainly does have some boots, Wonder Woman. (laughs) Also notable for his grand work on Superman and, of course, the Justice League of America. Silver Surfer was another one, did a crossover with Silver Surfer and Superman back in 1996. I have some copies of that well-remembered JLA, Justice League of America, Avengers crossover 
that he did too. Oh my gosh, what a titanic stoush that was. <laughs> of course, apart from working for DC and Marvel, he also contributed to Cross Jan and Guerrilla Comics and Pacific Comics as well. And I recall that he did his own thing in uh, Sirens in 2016 for Boom Studios, and this was his own complete creation. Perez's masterful cityscapes will live on in my memory forever, and his vivid and so well-observed crowd and team-up scenes. Powerful characters and emotions in full four-colour play. And he did hair so very well, especially in the case of Wonder Woman. I'm looking at a cover here of uh, The Avengers, issue 201, and uh, this is one of those ones where they're highlighting one of the less than major characters, Jarvis the Butler, and the Avengers are looking on rather startled and amused. And it's one of the things I liked about Perez's artwork and his writing too. Great sense of humour. And yet, looking at this, I can also see all of the little details in here, like uh, Jarvis is doing a bit of a clean-up on Avengers Mansion, and there's debris scattered across the floor, and every tiny little bit of of broken glass and rubble is depicted in absolutely spot-on detail, which doesn't take away from his ability to create the emotional palette of the scene either. You know, uh, Captain America is suppressing a little bit of a laugh, Scarlet Witch has a wry smile on her face, and even Thor and Iron Man look a bit bemused. Easy enough with Thor's open-faced helmet, but Iron Man's got his visor down. It's just all in his stance. And speaking of Iron Man, he did such great reflections. Yeah, okay, we've got some lens flares in there and reflections of reflections, which I always think is a mark of a good Iron Man artist who realises that the metal would cast light upon itself and influence its own colour too. And then I'm looking at another one here, one of his glorious splash panels, and this one's um, of Wonder Woman crossing her bracelets in front of a backdrop that includes Amazons from her background story, you know, the island of Themyscira. And the background also includes a minutely rendered realisation of the ancient Greek temples and buildings on that island. There's also something like a, a scroll, uh, a wall art depiction of the Amazon forces in action too. Dynamic and Diana-namic as well, because I don't think that there's too many artists who've managed to depict Wonder Woman quite so stunningly as Perez did. And speaking of splash pages, another one I'm also looking at here is one from the Crossroads comic, and it's got um, the Teen Titans in action, so they're all there in full glory, including Robin the Boy Wonder, who seems to be the focus of the perspective, and there's a fine display of perspective artwork here as it goes back into the distance, the uh, the tunnel that they're fighting through. And Robin is shouting out, let's do it, as they 
swing, fly and levitate into action in this amazing and remarkable picture that balances all of the elements of the disparate superheroes to provide you with one great glorious surge of action. And sure, a master of action, but also able to convey so much emotional impact in a more, well, can hardly call it restful, but at least they're not moving around pose on the cover of Crisis on Infinite Earths, where Superman is holding the body of his cousin Supergirl, and he's weeping, obviously, as he tries to revive her. And in the background are the sombre and assembled heroes of the DC universe, all equally shattered and mourning. There's no movement in this actual picture, but it nevertheless gives you that full story all there in that one key panel, all silhouetted against a sun backdrop to frame it all and give you more of a focus upon Superman's anguish. Just remarkable work, George Perez. No longer with us, but his work will live on. Not just being preserved in the collection of comic book fans everywhere, but also influencing future artwork too. In 2013, Perez had hemorrhaging in his left eye, so kind of left him blind in that eye, which of course was a tragedy for a great artist, as it would be for anyone, particularly in this case, though. And he also had a heart attack the in 2017 and had a whole raft of health problems, diabetes and uh, eventually inoperable pancreatic cancer. What a fighter. But uh, I remember the, the tributes to him in 2021 and 2022 as fans and fellow artists and publishing houses paid tribute to him in their books. So Perez passed away on May the 6th in 2022 due to complications of all that, I guess, really, when you think about it, and uh, leaves behind his wife, Carol, and his family. Now, Paddy Jenkins, director of the first recent Gal Gotto Wonder Woman movie, credits George Perez's work on Wonder Woman as a big influence on her, in her own singular adaptation of the iconic Amazonian princess. Well, by the golden lasso of truth, I think we should go out with a track today from the soundtrack album of Patty Jenkins' Wonder Woman movie, the first one, uh, 2017. And this is part of Rupert Gregson Williams' magnificent soundtrack f- for that film. And the track is Amazons of Themyscira. And that's about it for Zero G for today. Thanks to our co-host, Megan McHugh, and also our podcaster, Kayla Larson. Joe Brunetic coming up next with Astral Glamour. Time to play Bullets and Bracelets. G'day, this is Rob Jan. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Zero G. 
a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website.